All right, if you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to go to Jeremiah chapter 39. Uh, Fortunately, I didn't skip this chapter. So it's funny because I send all my notes ahead to Savannah for, so she can make the slides uh, during teaching. And she sends me a note back t- today, uh, earlier today, and she goes, are you skipping chapter 39? Apparently I was, gonna. Uh, I'm glad she was paying attention and uh, uh, brought it to my attention. So we can actually start where we're supposed to tonight. Otherwise, there'd be a big hole in the tapes. So we're going to start in Jeremiah 39. Now, here's the exciting thing. Jeremiah 39, all the way through 45, uh, this is the fall of Jerusalem. So this is the end of all the prophecies that Jeremiah's been giving, the culmination of those prophecies. Uh, We're going to see the close of of the history, uh, pre-exilic history, before the children of Israel uh, find themselves into the exile. And as we look at it, um, there's just a lot of really cool nuggets that we want to be able to pull from it. So, so uh, um, tonight, chapter 39 and chapter 40 are very similar chapters. And there's been some discussion among scholars whether or not uh, they're describing the same event or, or uh, um, the same event happening one time from two different points of view or whether it's a chronological uh, event. We're going to treat it as a chronological event tonight as we take a look at it, in, uh, in Jeremiah ultimately finding his freedom uh, through Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, hopefully there's, uh, there's just some really exciting things for us to, to delve into, and we got a long ways to go and a short time to get there, so let's do it. So we pick it up, Jeremiah 39, verse 1, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. So the siege began, ninth year, tenth month. Verse 2, in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. So this gives you the length of the siege. It started in the ninth year, it ended in the eleventh year, a hole was made in the wall, and the Babylonians just come marching in. Now what the scripture tells us is, as the... As the uh, Siege is coming to a close. We recognize that part of the reason why uh, the siege wall falls and the defense stumbles is because the city had been forced to surrender their food supply. The army's exhausted and they had resorted to cannibalism. Jeremiah tells us that. In Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 4, it says, And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth uh, day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege. They built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the 11th year. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city, there was no food for the people of the land. In Lamentations chapter 4, verse 10, as Jeremiah describes the events that take place around him, He says, the hands of a compassionate woman have boiled their own children. They have become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. When we look at what's taking place, I think it's uh, one of the the challenges I think people don't recognize. I I can, uh, 
stand before the masses and declare to the people that every single one of us is capable of doing the most evil thing, the most evil way in the right circumstances. It can happen to us all because we are depraved individuals. We are separated from God. Our hearts are wicked and evil. And apart from the touch of Jesus Christ, making us new creatures in Christ Jesus, there's, there's no end to the evil we can do. And I've offended a number of people saying, well, I would never do that. But the, the point of the exile and the siege was for the people in Judah to recognize their own wickedness. Because I'm sure before the siege started, you could have walked up to the mother who ate her children and said, you know, uh, I think you're going to eat your children one day. And she'd have said, you're crazy. I'll never do that. And then there came a day. Because apart from the redemption of Jesus Christ, we are wicked. The problem is we don't think that part's true. We think when the scripture says that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things, and who can know it? We, we think that somehow uh, we're an exception to that. What Jeremiah shows us is there are, are no exceptions. Apart from the regeneration of the spirit, the touch of Christ, there's no end to what wicked we can accomplish. And for the believer, for the redeemed, it ought to drive us to compassion and empathy. Because we should be able to say, there but by the grace of God, go I. I could be that. I, that, I could have made those choices. I could have found myself in that place. And that's how you learn to have compassion for people who are making horrible choices in the world. Well, it says in verse 3, all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. So they just come walking through the wall. And you have Nergal Asar Izer of Samgar, Nebu Sar Sekim, the, the Rab Saras, and Nergal Sar Izer, the Rab Mag. Now, here's some interesting tidbit. I just read that out of the ESV. If you have New King James, you have a lot more names. And if you have King James Version, you have more names. I'll put the King James Version up just so you can see. It may match what you guys have. All the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. Even Nergal, Sharetzer, Samgar, Nebo, Sarsekum, Rabsaras, Nergal, Sharezer, Rabmag, and all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. Why is it like that? This is why I tell people, when you study the Bible, don't just hold on to one translation, your favorite little translation, because you'll never know there are issues. Five translations you, you ought to use. Your, the good news is your phone has them all. On your phone, you could have 500 translations. You could have endless number of translations to look at. Why is this difficult? Because translators don't know what to do with these Babylonian words. They don't know which ones are names and which ones are titles. So later on, post-King James era, scholars think that some of those names, like I listed out for you in the ESV, are the titles of the people who are being described. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. But it shows us that people aren't sure how to translate those words. Just so you know, today in 2020, there are still words in the Bible people don't know how to translate because the only place that word exists is in the Bible. 
You ever try to translate a one-of word in a language you don't know? It's challenging, right? Now, there are very, very well-educated uh, 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 men, scholars, who, who work these things out. But it's, I, I'm just making a side note so you're aware. That's how you find that. When you read, when you look together at my five different versions that I have out when I study, and I go, okay, why, do, why does it look like there's ten names here and, and five names there? Oh, what I see is they're mixing the names together because they're not exactly sure where the name breaks, where and if or where the titles are to the names. So that's why. Um, there's some speculation here that I'd like to pull out because there's one guy, Nergal Sar uh, Ezer, in the ESV version, verse 3, who is the Rab Mag. Rab Mag, they know what some of these words mean. Rab Mag means the chief magi. Does that remind you of anything? If you know at this time, there's a guy in Babylon, there's two prophets there. One of them's name is Ezekiel. He's where the captives are. And one of them's name is Daniel. And Daniel, he blesses Nebuchadnezzar so much that he makes him what? Do you know? He makes him the chief of the Magi. So there are some people who question when you come to Daniel and they say, there's this whole event that happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this golden statue and people always ask the question. You know what question they ask? Where's Daniel? Well, what we can understand, at least here in the fall of Judah, I'm not suggesting that this guy is Daniel, but we know that they sent the chief magi out with the armies when they were conquering different nations. So the understanding or the idea that Daniel may have been out on a mission from, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar is certainly not without merit. The chief of the magi, I'll tell you this, this guy knew who Daniel was. Already at this time, at the fall of Jerusalem, Daniel is, has risen in the ranks. He may not be to, to his peak under Babylonian authority yet, but his name is known by Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar looking for a certain prophet. He's going to be looking for this prophet, Jeremiah. How's Nebuchadnezzar know Jeremiah's name? You ever read Daniel? What book was Daniel reading in Daniel chapter 9? He was reading Jeremiah. Think there's any chance Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, if you go conquer that and you bump into Jeremiah, hook that guy up. He's had a rough go. <laughs> I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, right? So uh, there's just a lot of things happening. You have, you have more, but you have three prominent prophets simultaneously around the same event. Ezekiel's back in Babylon prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem. Daniel back in, uh, in the, the um, um, throne rooms of Nebuchadnezzar uh, fulfilling and understanding the time of the exile, how it's going to run, how long it's going to go, according to the writings of the prophets who went before him. So all these guys are, are um, they're not, they didn't all start at the same time. Jeremiah is much older than Daniel is now, but, he, but they overlap. 
All right, so their, their ministries overlap. Now it says, when Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward uh, Ereba. So you remember last time, uh, the king, Zedekiah, said, Jeremiah, you know, you got a word from God for me? Remember, Jeremiah said, well, First, you're going to kill me if I tell you. And second, you're not going to listen. But what, you remember what he told him to do? Surrender. And what would happen? You will live, your family will live, and they won't burn the city. And what do we see happening? He doesn't surrender. The Babylonians conquer, and he runs away. And leaves all the people to suffer under, through his choices, right? He made choices that are going to cause people within the city to lose their lives yeah they're going to be killed trying to trying to defend uh, uh their homes and what have you so zedekiah runs away but the army of the chaldeans pursued them and overtook zedekiah in the plains of jericho and when they had taken him they brought him up to nebuchadnezzar king of babylon at riblah in the land of hamath and he passed sentence on him now we knew this, this is something that Jeremiah told him the, the previous chapter, right? Jeremiah told him, if you don't surrender, here's what's going to happen to you. And I wonder when Zedekiah is standing there, if any of that's playing through his mind. Would it have been playing through yours? So it says, um, as the army of, uh, of, the, of the Chaldeans pursued them, overtook Zedekiah, and when they had taken him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. You remember when Jeremiah first got put into prison, you remember who put him there? All the nobles, right? There were a couple of nobles, we're going to see in a moment, that, that don't get killed, that just so happened to be the nobles who were supporters of Jeremiah. You think that's happenstance? think it just happens to work out that way so these nobles get put to death that's the guys who tried to throw them down in the pit that's the guys who wanted to kill jeremiah they all get put to death all the sons of zedekiah get killed before his eyes and the word there that's used is important it says and the king of babylon slaughtered all the nobles that word slaughter is the very same word they would have used for slaughtering sacrificial animals so the way they slaughtered a sacrificial animal was they uh, walked up to that animal, they laid their hand on its head, confessed their sin, and then they took a razor knife, looks like, a, um, looks like what you would shave with, <clears throat> uh, and they take that razor knife and they just run it across its throat. And all the blood just comes out. They just die, get skinned, and put up on the, on the altar for cooking. So this is exactly what they did to Zedekiah's sons. His family is going to pass through. The, the women uh, uh, that were part of his harem are all going to be taken by the Babylonians. It says, and then, verse 7, he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. So what do we see? The things that Jeremiah said was going to take place, take place. What? The city's destroyed. Two, Zedekiah's children are slaughtered before his eyes, and then his eyes are put out. Then he's taken to Babylon, and he's going to die in Babylon. Uh, 
uh, in the exile. That's where he'll be. You can read about those, Jeremiah 32, 34, uh, and also Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. So if you want to look those up, that's where those prophecies are laid out. Verse 8 says, The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is brought down to rubble. The walls destroyed. It's going to be that way till Nehemiah comes back. So the walls destroyed, houses built. What did God say to the king? None of this has to happen. All you have to do is what? Surrender. And the people will live. You wonder why scripture says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You remember the king. Why did the king, what was one of the things Zedekiah said? Zedekiah said, I'm afraid that the other people in, in captivity are going to mock me. So I'm not going to surrender. Well, that's a great reason. I wonder how many times throughout history has the pride of a ruler cost the lives of his people? How many times? How many times has the pride of a ruler brought ruin? How about in our nation lately? How, how, how many times has the pride of whomever is in charge of whatever governed the choices that's going on and how many times has the people suffered as a result? So we look at it. It says in verse 8, they burned down the city, tore down the wall. Verse 9, then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him and the people who remained. So everybody else goes in chains, right? Everybody else goes in chains. Those who surrendered previous to the fall, so we know some people heard the message of Jeremiah and surrendered. And they uh, gained their life as a result. And uh, the people who remained. It says, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So the city's gone. The walls are gone. But you still have outside the city the fields, the vineyards. Um, and so Babylon wants that. He wants the, the fruit of those fields. He wants the fruit of the harvest for their armies. And so they're going to set up like an outpost uh, of the poor, the poor, the people who had nothing. They walk by some guy who probably was begging on the street and they say, hey, that vineyard's yours now. Uh, we're going to come back at the harvest time and we want to receive a part of that you can have and, and we'll take part of it. And so they lifted up some of the poor and, and granted them the lands and the fields at that time. Uh, verse 11, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave a command concerning Jeremiah <coughs> through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, take him, look after him well, do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. So he leaves Jeremiah totally free. You can come with us. We'll set you up with a retirement house in the palace of Babylon. You did a good thing. You tried to do what was right. You, you come. We'll take care of you all your life. Or if you want to stay here, you can stay here. Stay, stay amongst your people in the rubble, whatever you want to do, you can do. So this is the word that Nebuchadnezzar got. Now the question again, I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us that Nebuchadnezzar was ever 
reading Jeremiah's prophecies. Where did Nebuchadnezzar come to know about Jeremiah? Maybe from the deserters, sure. The people who deserted and they say, why are you deserting, running over here? And they say, Jeremiah the prophet tells us to come, perhaps. Perhaps. Perhaps Daniel had something to do with it as well. But as we look at it, in verse 13 it says, So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Reb Saris, Negel Sarazar, the Rab Mag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent, took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. So they're taking him out of prison. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, that he should take him home so he lived among the people. So Jeremiah gets turned loose. Now one of the things that God told Jeremiah in regard to his ministry, that his ministry would be for the tearing down and the overthrowing and also a time to build and a time to plant. So perhaps as we come to this point in, in Jeremiah's life, he's thinking this is my planting and, and sowing time. I'm going to plant and, and sow and maybe the, the rebuilding of the city, so I'm going to stay back here. I don't know. Jeremiah never tells us why he chooses to stay. We just know he does. I can tell you this. It's not the time to build and plant. The building and planting will come later. The fruit of the things that Jeremiah told the people. But Jeremiah is not going to experience it. The heartbreak of the destruction of these people is not over yet. You'd like to say this is it, right? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar come, the walls are torn down, boom, everybody's taken away, the poor are left behind. Gedaliah, whose, <clears throat> whose father was one of the guys who was involved in giving Josiah the copy of the law that Josiah found, that I believe was found by Jeremiah's father, and then delivered to Josiah. And then you have this great revival. So this is that Gedaliah. He's the son. He's in that lineage. And he's set up as a governor to watch over the poor who are taking care of the fields, right? There's no city wall. There's no temple. There's, it's all gone now. Everything's gone. So surely now, when the armies of the king of Babylon leave, the people will dwell at peace with one another. Is that ever how that works? If we send our armies over to a faraway land because there's a despotic ruler and we take down that ruler from that land, are we able just to leave? When you take one despot down, what happens? Another one just steps up. Why? Because the hearts of men is what? Wicked. Why do we have soldiers still in Afghanistan? Why do we still have soldiers in, in uh, Iraq? Why do we still have soldiers in places we ought not have soldiers? Why are they still out there? Well, because the hearts of men are wicked. And when you leave, it will grow just as corrupt as it was before. Is that a reason to leave them there? I don't think so. Bring them home. Why should they die over there? 
I don't think I don't think any of those places are a threat to us now. I think we're the biggest threat to us right now. We should probably bring them all home and be ready for <laughs> chapter three or whatever's coming up next. So we have the same thing going on here now. Uh, uh, Gedaliah's been set up. Um, Jeremiah is going to stay with Gedaliah and live among the people. Now, here's what happens. Now, before Jeremiah was set free, so before Jeremiah gets set free, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. So Jeremiah's still in prison. We're going to back up. It's like we're going to rewind. Jeremiah's back in prison. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah there and says, Go, say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. <clears throat> so God says to Jeremiah, go to Ebed-Melech. You remember Ebed-Melech? He's the guy who got Jeremiah out of the pit when he was in the miry clay. Ebed-Melech is the one who went to the king, said, hey, Jeremiah's going to die down there. What are you doing? We've got to get him out. The king lets him take him out and sets Jeremiah free. So this Ebed-Melech, the Lord gives a word to Jeremiah to deliver to him. The first part of that is, this city's going to fall. This city is going to fall and you're going to see it. The second part, he says, but I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord. And you will not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely save you and you will not fall by the sword. But you have your life as a prize of war because you put your trust in me. So God says to Jeremiah, tell Ebed-Melech he's going to be free man. Now, we don't know anything about what happened to him. We don't see him in the rosters of the guys chained up. I have no reason to think any different than what the Lord said. They let Ebed-Melech go. Ethiopian eunuch in service of the king that was there. And he is given what God said. Your life will be delivered. The city will fall, but you'll be delivered. You will not die by the sword. You're going to be set free because you put your trust in me. How many times is that the message that God gives us in his word, right? Put your trust in me. Whom the son sets free, he is free indeed. So scripture goes on now in verse four, or chapter 40. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, let him go from Ramah. When he took him bound in chains along with the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. So in the story that you have in 39, you have him describing as just setting Jeremiah free. But there's a little more to the story of just setting Jeremiah free. <clears throat> Jeremiah was enchained with the people until he got to Ramah. And then in Ramah, Nebuzaradan uh, set him free and he was able to go back to get Eliah. But listen to what the captain of the guard told them in verse 2. The captain of the guard told Jeremiah, the Lord your God has pronounced this disaster. So this guy, Nebuzaradan, he, he is at least familiar with, uh, with the Lord and he sees the Lord's hand in the judgment that has befallen the people. The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. Look at verse 3. The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. And then he says, why? Because you have sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice. This thing has come upon you. 
So he's, he's able to articulate the very things that the prophets have been telling the people. Only he's the chief of the guard for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he delivers this message. Now you're going to see a little bit more into Jeremiah's choice in verse 4. Now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you, <coughs> come with me to Babylon. Come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. The whole land is before you. Go wherever you think is good and right to go. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people, or go wherever you think it's right to go. So Jeremiah, you do whatever you want. Takes the chains off. The captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present. Nobody knows what the present is. King James, New King James, say he gave him treasure, I think, or uh, some think gold. He, he was given food and money to be able to return amongst a bunch of people who have been going without food for quite a while. And now listen, verse 6, Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam at Mizpah, and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. So we're back to Jeremiah with Gedaliah. Now when all the captains of the forces in the open country and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, and children, those of the poorest of the land who had not been taken into exile to Babylon, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Yohanan, uh, the son of Kariah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the sons of Ephi, the Nedophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Maacathite, they and all their men. So you have all these guys who had scattered. So they didn't turn themselves in, but they scattered to the hills. Now they know the battle's over, so they all come back. So they all come back to uh, Gedaliah. And verse 9, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan's, swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid. <laughs> Same message as Jeremiah. Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land. Serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. It's still true. It's still true. Sit here, dwell here, live at peace. And as for me, I will dwell at Mizpah to represent you before the Chaldeans who will come to us. So remember, he's there to make sure when the Chaldeans come by, their army comes by, they're there to give them the grain, they're there to give them the fruit of the vineyards the, the, of the fields that were not destroyed. So he says, I'll be here when they come. But as for you, gather wine, summer fruits and oil, store them in your vessels, dwell in the cities, all that you have taken. Go wherever you want. Cities have been destroyed. Set up, uh, set up a place wherever you want. The, basically, the land's before you guys. All you have to do is dwell under the yoke of the Chaldeans, and you can live. wonder what would happen if men would actually listen to what God's people tell them to do. Verse 11. Then... When all the Judeans who were in Moab and among the Ammonites and Edom and all the other lands heard of the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah 
and had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, as governor over them. Then all the Judeans returned from all the places to which they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah. And they gathered wine and summer fruits in great abundance. So now you see all the people in the hills of Moab, all the ones who were hiding. Basically, everyone who scattered from the siege comes back. Now here's the story. Hey guys, we, we can have all this. I mean, it's not the greatest deal, right? All the houses are burned, tore down, but we can build something, make something out of this land, and we can live. We can live here, we can have lives, and we can move forward. That doesn't seem like it's so bad. But the heart of man is wicked. Verse 13. Now Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and all the leaders of the forces in the open country came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Do you know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to take your life? So he says to Gedaliah, this is, these are some of the guys who have come back from the hills. He says to Gedaliah, hey, this guy Ishmael wants to kill you. He's secretly been sent from Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, and he's going to kill you. But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, would not believe them. Oh, man, he says, look around you. There's nothing left. We're all been destroyed. We're all, nobody else is going to do anything else. You're running on rumor control, and I'm not about to believe it. He says, I don't, I don't believe what's happening. Then a Yohanan, the son of Kariah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Please, let me go kill him. Well, that seems perfect. <clears throat> let me go down and strike down Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know. Why should he take your life so that all the Judeans who are gathered about you would be scattered and the remnant of Judah would perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Yohanan, the son of Kariah, You shall not do this thing, for you are speaking falsely about Ishmael. The deal is, hey, the king of the Ammonites is going to kill you. The, all these battles have taken place. The city is destroyed. The smoke is barely cleared. The people have gathered back. The remnant have gathered back to Jerusalem. And you would like to think that there will now be a remnant in Jerusalem, but the story is not over. And the people aren't done being wretches. If you want to know what happens, all you got to do is look at the first verse of chapter 41. And you will see that the king that Nebuchadnezzar sets up, the governor, the, the guy left over the remnant, the scrubs, the poorest of the poor, gets killed. What do you think Babylon's going to do now? Are you kidding me? Well, they're not ever going to have to do it. Because the Judeans are going to do it to themselves. There will be no remnant in the land because the remnant will be scattered. 
Because the remnant is in such rebellion against what the Lord says. Listen, the one thing that we have in common with the stories that we're going to be reading in the next couple of weeks um, about those in Judah and the exile of Judah. Rebellion is so easy to come to our lips. Rebellion against anything God says. I don't care what it is. Especially in our day and our time, we want to make peace with everything God says, thou shalt not. We want to find a reason why we don't have to do any of those things. There was one time that we had a, uh, I can't remember who it was. Um, part of the reason why I can't remember what chapter I'm on. I'm going to lose my mind, but it doesn't make any difference. The point is, what if God just said, thou shalt never wear blue? Man will want to rebel against it. Well, why can't I wear blue? Well, I'm going to wear blue. Well, I'm going to have blue hair. And I'm going to have I'm going to I'm going to have blue shirt and blue pants and blue shoes. And look, I wore all this blue and nothing happened. You should wear blue too. Isn't that how rebellion goes? Now God hasn't said, "Thou shalt not wear blue," but He has said, "Thou shalt not." And in our day. There are a lot of people who say that doesn't apply to us anymore. These things aren't what God wants. Are you sure? Are you sure this isn't God's direction? Because here's what we're going to see. At the end of Jeremiah, when we get to the 51, 50, 51, 52, you're going to, as he's wrapping up uh, um, the prophecies against the nation, that's the next section we'll move into after the destruction of Jerusalem. As God's talking about those things and all the things going to be happening, all you see over and over and over again is this picture of Babylon as the land of rebellion against God and Jerusalem as that place that's supposed to be governed by God, right? The city of peace in the midst of his people, Israel, the people who are Governed by God, the people who call him Lord, Lord, and do the things that he says. What does the Bible say about those people? It's not as many of them as you think. Right? It says, narrow is the way. Hard to find. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many find that path. Rebellion, when we come to Revelation and we're looking at Revelation in the end of days, what is it that it falls in Revelation chapter 18? Babylon, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The city of rebellion against God. The city will get put down. It will end. The days will come. And I don't know which part we're in. I don't know if we still got a long time or a short time. People always say we have a short time. You should live your life like you have a short time. That's why the Bible teaches us to number our days, right? My days get shorter every time I wake up. I got one day less than I had the day before. I don't know 
I don't know when Jesus is going to return, when the trumpet sounds, when he calls his church up. I don't know when we enter into the tribulation. I know what the Bible says about it, and I know <clears throat> that, uh, that the things written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 haven't occurred yet, but, but that could happen any day. That could happen any time. But here's what Paul said. Paul said, now is the time. Today's the day. Stop worrying about when the tribulation starts, who the Antichrist is, and what day Jesus will return. Since, he said, you're not going to know that day anyway. Stop worrying about all of those things and start thinking about, am I walking, am I walking in obedience to Christ? I know I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Am I walking in obedience with you, Lord? Am I following where you want me to follow? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I living a life of confession saying, Lord, forgive me when I fail? Am I living a truthful walk with Christ? Not Nobody's looking for perfection. Jesus said this to the woman at the well, the days are coming when... And now are when people will worship the Father in spirit and in. Are you worshiping him in truth? These are questions that we ought to be concerned with. And then calling other men and women to the same thing, right? Following, worshiping in truth. In spirit and truth. Real. Because there's a lot of people in change right now. Now they're okay. They're living. They have time. But there was an awful lot of people that would not listen, that would not stop killing one another, that would not stop rebelling. And they're going to rebel to death. And that's what you're going to read in Jeremiah, the next several chapters going to 45. Rebelling to death, rebelling to death, rebelling to death. Here's the funny thing. After all the slaughter is done and they're afraid, what if the Babylonians come? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? They're going to say, go get Jeremiah. And they're going to go grab Jeremiah. And they're going to bring Jeremiah before the people. <clears throat> and they're going to say to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, tell us what to do. And we promise we'll, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Unless the heart of man is surrendered and changed, Man will rebel to his last breath. And the only way that heart is changed is to surrender to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the time we have to study, Lord. We thank you for this amazing book, the amazing study that we've been having through the pages of Jeremiah. Lord, I pray that we would hear... It's better for us, God, to learn from the example of the people in Judah. It's good for us to learn from their example, not from our experience. The heart of man wants to rebel against God. The heart of man must be conquered. And it is conquered when man humbles himself before a holy God, surrenders himself to his Lord and Savior, and God gives man a new heart. The new covenant. This is a new covenant in my blood shed for you. 
I will give you a heart of flesh in place of the heart of stone. God, I pray that your people would hear the warning, warnings laid out for us. That we would respond in faith to where you're directing us and, and how you're directing us. That we recognize in the days in which we walk right now, I don't know if we got a lot of time or a little time, but I know this. We better stop our rebellion. We better. The church better stop her rebellion. She better bow the knee. Otherwise, she's going to be professing with her mouth something that's not real in her heart. So God may... Revival begin in among us. Surrender, repentance, confession, put an end to the rebellion and walking in obedience to Christ. May we not find ourselves repeating the mistakes of the people of Israel and having to learn the same lesson. God, we lift this time to you. We pray you would move in and among us by your spirit. That in our surrender, we might become the men and women you're asking us to be. And we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.